0: take your Bibles and turn to Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6. And as you do that, uh, I want to read a passage to you written by Oscar Wilde. You may remember Oscar Wilde from literature back in high school or college. He was a famous Irish poet and and playwright. He wrote The Picture of Dorian Gray and The Importance of Being Earnest. He spent his life pursuing this philosophy of pleasure, pursued personal happiness at all costs. That was his, his philosophy of life until eventually his sordid lifestyle landed him in prison. And it was while he was in prison that he wrote his last published work called De, De Profundis. It was a lengthy letter that served as a counterpoint to his previous hedonistic philosophy of life. Now I want you to listen to this excerpt. The gods had given me almost everything. But I let myself be lured into long spells of senseless and sensual ease. Tired of being on the heights, I deliberately went to the depths in the search for new sensation. What the paradox was to me in the sphere of thought, perversity became to me in the sphere of passion. Desire at the end was a malady or a madness or both. I grew careless of the lives of others. I took pleasure where it pleased me. I forgot that every little action of the common day makes or unmakes character, and that therefore what one has done in the secret chamber, one has someday to cry aloud on the housetop. I ceased to be Lord over myself. I was no longer the captain of my soul and did not know it. I allowed pleasure to dominate me. I ended in horrible disgrace. There is only one thing for me now, absolute Humility. That passage was written in 1897. Now, the next passage I want to read to you was written about 2,800 years before that, by another famous author who also spent his youth in the hedonistic pursuit of pleasure. In Ecclesiastes 2:10 through 11, it says, "I denied myself nothing; my eyes desired, I refused my heart no pleasure. My heart took delight in all my labor." And this was the reward for all my toil. Yet when I surveyed all that my hands had done and what I had toiled to achieve, everything was meaningless. A chasing after the wind. Nothing was gained under the sun. So, 29, some hundred years ago, 2,900 years ago, Oscar Wilde, 122 years ago, and here we are today, And people still fall into the same age-old trap of believing the lie that happiness and experiencing pleasure are the highest forms of good. We're told today to do what makes you happy. Seize the day because you only live once. Treat yourself because you deserve it. Quench your thirst. Feed your urges We're supposed to keep up with the Joneses because he who dies with the most toys wins. But as both Wilde and Solomon would say, that's all vanity. A chasing after the wind. And that kind of lifestyle will always end in disgrace and humility. Or as Jesus said, these kinds of treasures will decay and disappear, leaving us full of darkness And despising God as we chase after that ever elusive prey called happiness. But what if happiness can be ours? What if we can know lasting joy and eternal pleasures? What if they're not found in chasing the pleasures and priorities this world offers? What if instead it's found in seeking first the kingdom of God and His righteousness? Psalm 37.4 tells us to take delight in the Lord and He will give you the desires of your heart. In Psalm 16.11, the psalmist says, You make known to me the path of life. You fill me with joy in your presence, with eternal pleasures at your right hand. So what if the secret to happiness is found in seeking God first? That's what Jesus reveals to us here in Matthew 6, which is part of his Sermon on the Mount. And I want us to look at some of the answers to the question, what if we seek God first? And the first answer to that is if we seek God first, our treasure will endure. And that's what we heard in our New Testament reading. I want to read it to you one more time in Matthew chapter 6, beginning in verse 19. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy, where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Everyone has treasure. You have treasure, I have treasure, it's part of of being human. God created us with the capacity to need, to value and treasure something or to hold someone dear. Even the homeless, even the refugee has treasure. They've got some trinket, some keepsake, something that is so important to them they'll protect it at all cost. Jesus isn't saying that owning property that having or wanting things and making retirement investments is wrong. He's not saying that any of that is wrong. He's saying they cannot be the focus of our lives. He's saying they cannot be the basis for our hope or our happiness. A biblical view of wealth celebrates earthly goods as gifts from God, things for which we should give thanks to Him. But they're not to be our chief aim in life. Because as Solomon writes in Ecclesiastes 5:10 through 11 and verse 15 he says whoever loves money never has enough whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with their income this too is meaningless as goods increase so do those who consume them and what benefit are they to the owner except to feast their eyes on them everyone comes naked from their mother's womb and as everyone comes so they depart They take nothing from their toil that they can carry in their hands. What Solomon is telling us here at the beginning of this passage is that earthly goods and pleasures tend to be more burdensome than they are blessings. They weigh us down. We lose sleep worrying over it. They cause us to overindulge. They distract us from the greatest joys and pleasures of God. And we easily become dissatisfied with what we have Because we want more. As soon as you get something and you think, oh, this is great. Maybe it's the latest iPhone. Guess what? In a year or two, there's another greater iPhone. And what do you want? You want that iPhone. That's true for televisions. It's true for cars. It's true for clothes, fashion changes. There's nothing that we get that we are ever truly satisfied with because we always think, what if I had something even better? What if I had a little bit more? However, wealth can be a blessing when we share it with those in need, when we pass it along to our family and friends, when we enjoy it with a heart of gratitude directed toward God. I believe the writer of Ecclesiastes is saying that material goods can either be earthly treasures or they can be heavenly treasures depending on our priorities. In fact, you could argue that he's saying where your heart is There your treasure will be also. The psalmist warns us in Psalm 62.10, Though your riches increase, do not set your heart on them. He's not saying that the increase of riches is wrong. He's saying when your riches increase, don't set your heart on them. And this applies to far more than just physical goods, physical riches. It can mean our reputation. as Your reputation increases. It could mean our credentials, our careers, our relationships, our accomplishments. Whenever those things increase, do not set your heart on them. The distinction, you see, isn't so much physical versus spiritual. It's temporal versus eternal. And we are to set our hearts on things that are eternal. It has to do with what we choose to structure our souls around. In his book, The Divine Conspiracy, Dallas Willard says that it's about whether the life we live in the here and now will be an eternal life or not. He goes on to write, We reveal what our treasures are by what we try to protect, secure, and keep. And so think about all of the ways we try to protect our earthly treasures, right? Okay, we, we put them in safes. We put them in the bank, we, we buy insurance, we have sprinklers, security systems, we even have to protect our identity from thieves, we have to protect our digital treasures from viruses and from hackers, even if we make it through this life, protecting all of that. Let's say we do a great job, let's say we do an excellent job and we go through all of our life, we protect everything and nothing is ever lost. Guess what comes in at the end and snatches it all away? Death. There's no protection against that. Which is why we must treasure God and His reign, His kingdom, more than anything else. I mean, we all want to invest in things that last. That's what Ben was getting at with his children's sermon. We want things that are going to stand the test of time We want to buy a car that we can put a lot of miles on it and it not depreciate too much and and, and we can drive it for a long time. We're interested in long-term investments that are going to pay great dividends. And if that's true, then why not invest in a long-term investment that will neither depreciate nor deteriorate? In order to do that, we have to focus our heart on eternal things. Now, you may be wondering, Pastor, what are these heavenly treasures? What are these eternal investments? Well, Jesus doesn't give us any specifics here, but I think it's safe to say that they're the things that we do and value and invest in that are eternal, that are never-ending, such as developing Christian character, bearing the fruit of the Spirit, growing in our knowledge of Christ, leading people to faith in Christ and making disciples of them. And I think it includes even the investing of our earthly treasures in things that will reap eternal dividends. The point is that our treasure, whatever that is, focuses our hearts. And our hearts are the very center of our being. Our heart is the source, the wellspring of life. Our heart is what orients our lives and gives purpose and direction to everything we do. And that's why God commands us to love Him with our whole heart and soul and mind and strength. He's saying, love me with all your being. Another way to look at it is this. To lay up treasures in heaven is to care about what God cares about. It's to partner with God in His mission on the earth. Galatians 6, 8-10, Paul writes about reaping what we sow. He says, whoever sows to please their flesh, from the flesh will reap destruction. Whoever sows to please the Spirit, from the Spirit will reap eternal life. And so Paul says, let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. It's about where you focus your heart and where you invest your treasure. Where is your treasure this morning? What are you investing your time and energy and resources in? The things that will weep only temporal results or the things that will bear eternal dividends? What if you made the intentional effort to begin laying up treasures in heaven? What kind of legacy do you think you'd be able to leave your children and grandchildren. Don't you think that would give you more peace and more joy than anything you could invest in in this world? Don't you think that God would give you a far greater return than anything this world could ever offer you? Remember, your heart will always follow your treasure. And the beauty of these heavenly treasures is that we don't have to wait till we die to enjoy them. If you're a Christian, eternal life isn't something you get after you die. Eternal life is yours now. You are right now living a life that will never end. Isn't that amazing? And Paul says that God will meet all of our needs in this life according to His riches in Christ Jesus. What if we seek God first? Our treasure will endure But secondly, our vision will be enlightened. Jesus goes on to say in verses 22 through 23, The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are good, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? Now, in the Bible, I is often a synonym for the heart. So what Jesus is saying, he's saying the same thing here he just said in the previous few verses. It's all about our focus. It's all about our vision. If our spiritual sight is sharp because our hearts are focused heavenward on Jesus, then we're going to be full of purpose and joy. We're going to see the world as it truly is. We'll understand our purpose. We'll have clarity about the direction of our life. We'll see people for their true worth. And we'll put our possessions in their proper place. But if our hearts are set on what's earthly and temporal, then our spiritual sight's going to be clouded with idolatry, materialism, selfish greed, ambition, those kinds of things. Cause us to lose our sense of purpose and joy. Our our perspectives become distorted. And it misleads us. We judge the value and importance of other people by what they can do for us. And we value God's creation and the gift of the possessions that He has given us. We judge them only by the pleasure they give us in the moment. We become lost. Stumbling in the dark. Where is your focus? What do your eyes tend to drift toward? I'm as guilty as anybody. But I think for most of us, our eyes kind of stay focused about right here these days, don't they? Think for just a moment about that. Think about what you're looking on on this phone as you're scrolling past photos and articles and advertisements. What catches your eye and makes you stop? you ever thought about that? We're kind of training our brains. We just kind of scroll and scroll and scroll until something catches our eye. we go back. We click it. What catches your eye? And why? Remember how Peter took his eyes off of Jesus? He was walking on water. It was stormy. And as long as he had his eyes on Jesus, he was good. But when he took his eyes off Jesus and started to focus on the waves... And the rain and the lightning and the wind, he sank. Maybe we are sinking in stress and anxiety and depression. Maybe we're being overwhelmed with anger and jealousy and insecurity because we're focused too much on other people's photos and their seemingly perfect lives. Because guess what? You're only putting your best self on Facebook, right? And so you look at that and you think, man, so-and-so's got it going so much better than I do. And we start to sink. We're looking at the endless advertisements that are trying to convince us that our lives are unfulfilled and that we're unhappy unless we buy what they're selling. And we sink. Maybe we need to look up from our phones more often and focus our eyes on Jesus. He's telling us, that the true secret to happiness is to fix our eyes on Him. To follow Him as the one and only who can truly fulfill our desires and make us complete. What if we seek God first? Our treasures will endure. Our vision will be enlightened. We'll see things in a light we've never seen them before. And third, our service will be enjoyable. So far in this Sermon on the Mount, we've been reading these verses, Jesus has forced us to consider where is our treasure. Is it heaven or on earth? How is our vision? Is it darkened or is it enlightened? And now He asks us to consider who is our master. God or money? Look at verse 24. No one can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he'll be devoted to the one and despise the other, you cannot serve both God and money. Where we lay our treasures, and thus our heart, and where we fix our eyes, and thus our vision, depends on who we serve. Now, it's a little hard for us to understand this teaching because today we can have lots of different bosses, right? There are lots of different masters of our life we have to obey okay but in the biblical world where jesus is writing a slave could only have one master you couldn't have two in the old testament israel tried worshiping and serving two masters they tried to worship and serve serve the lord god and idols like baal which is what led Elijah the prophet to confront the people in 1 Kings 18.21 when he asked them, how long will you waver between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow Him. But if Baal is God, follow Him. They can't ride the fence. They can't have it both ways. In Romans chapter 1, Paul presents a sobering look at what happens when people worship and serve God the created rather than the creator. Paul tells us that in judgment, God gives them over to their base desires. He just gives them over to it, and wickedness prevails in their life. People do what feels good, they do what's right in their own eyes, and the world becomes chaos and darkness. If we think we can serve both God and the pursuit of wealth, guess what? you've already decided which God you're going to serve because the Lord God of the Bible is a jealous God. He's not going to share you with anyone. And if you think you can serve Him and the things of this world, you've already declared which God you're following. What is the first commandment? What's the first commandment? No other gods before Him, right? There's only one Lord God that we worship and that we serve. And if we don't love and pursue Him with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, we're not loving and pursuing Him at all. And if we can't keep that one law, we're already breaking all the rest of them. If, you, if we want to find true happiness, we've got to make the decision to serve and follow God completely. And when we do, our service will be endearing. It will endear Him to us and us to Him. Our service will be enjoyable. It won't be exhausting. It won't be excruciating. It will be a blessing, not a burden. But if we try to divide our loyalties, Jesus says, you're going to end up despising God. In other words, we won't find happiness and peace that way. Now, in verse 25 begins with the word, therefore... Whenever you see the word therefore in the Bible, you've got to always ask, what's it there for? Okay, so what Jesus has just told us about focusing our heart on heavenly treasures, having our vision enlightened, choosing who we're going to serve, Jesus is saying, He's caused us to think about our values, our priorities, our loyalties. Therefore, now, He's calling us not just to think about it, but to act on it. If we choose to invest in something with eternal dividends and look with spiritual eyes and worship and serve God as our master, then he's saying, now here is how we have to live. Here's where the rubber meets the road. We must choose to pursue the eternal and not worry over the temporal. And if we do that, what if we did that? What if we sought God's kingdom first? Then our pursuits... Will be eternal. Our pursuit will be eternal. Let's read 25 through 34. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more important than food? And the body more important than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Jesus is giving us a choice. He's giving us two options. The first is that we can pursue our own temporal security, success, and pleasure however we want. And this choice, Jesus says, always leads to anxiety or worry. Now, in the Greek, the word worry literally means divided into parts. It means pulled into opposite directions. That's what the word worry means. Figuratively, it's where we get the expression fall to pieces. Somebody fell to pieces, right? They just, they just they, it's like they just come apart at the seams. Why do food and clothes cause us to be worried? Divided, distracted, falling to pieces. It's because we've learned, whether we want to admit it or not, that earthly treasures really do and will fail us. Wealth does sprout wings and flies away. People will let us down. And so when these things are the source of our happiness and our security, we're going to worry. Because we know they're temporal. We know they don't last. When Jesus talks about worry, He's not just talking about concern. He's not talking about thoughtful planning. This passage doesn't mean that you shouldn't plan for tomorrow. He's talking about seeking and running after things. Jesus is dealing with our ambitions, with our pursuits. What does it look like today for us to pursue, to run after the things that pagans spend their lives trying to obtain? We become overworked, consumed with debt, crazed about our health, obsessed with our looks, And the writer of Proverbs tells us, do not wear yourself out like that. Don't wear yourself out to get rich. Don't trust your own cleverness. Cast a glance at riches and they're gone. For they will surely sprout wings and fly off to the sky like an eagle. The kind of pagan pursuit that this is talking about and that Jesus warns us against is unproductive, isn't it? Because you can't add a single hour to your life by worrying. We can't, in other words, we can't really do much about our physical needs on our own. You, you can't produce your next heartbeat. You can't even produce the, the air you're going to breathe next. We are so dependent on things outside of ourselves. And ultimately, we're dependent on God. So to worry about it is unproductive. To worry about it is unnecessary. Because if we trust Him, God has promised to take care of our needs. Amen? And it's unworthy of us to worry because we are so much more than just bodies that have to be housed, clothed, and fed. We are so much more than just psyches in need of self-help, self-esteem, and stroked egos. How many birds are you worth? How much more important are you than the most beautiful flowers in the field? So both Jesus and Paul give us the prescription for anxiety and worry and wrong ambitions. And that prescription is prayer. Listen to what Paul says in Philippians chapter 4. He says, do not be anxious about anything. Don't don't fall to pieces about anything. But in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding... Will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. You know, you can't really pray the Lord's Prayer if your ambition is for earthly gain. Right? Because then you're not trusting God to give you this day your daily bread. You're not focused on working toward His kingdom coming and His will being done on earth as it is in heaven. We can't be people of prayer and people of worry. So rather than wear ourselves out over unproductive, unnecessary, and unworthy pursuits, we need to take Jesus' second choice, the second option. And that is pursue God's eternal rule and reign in our hearts and His righteousness in our world. That's the right choice. Instead of focusing on the gifts, focus on the giver. Because if our hope and our purpose are in the eternal and what we can never lose then we live in peace, we live in joy, we live in confidence. To seek first God's kingdom and His righteousness means that we work and we live as if we're those whose lives are hidden with Christ and God. His kingdom becomes our priority. And we work and we live to discover where God is working so that we can join Him there. So we can partner with God in His kingdom's work so that His righteousness will spread throughout the world. Someone posed a very good question once. They said, if God promised to feed and clothe His children, then why are so many of them ill-clad and undernourished? And I think the answer is that too many of God's people have darkened vision. For too many of God's people, our treasures are earthly. For too many of God's people, they're serving the wrong master. Remember Jesus' parable about the sheep and the goats in Matthew 25? Matthew 25. See, when we fail to clothe the naked, feed the hungry, and give drink to the thirsty, we're failing to recognize Jesus as our Master and our Lord. But when we focus heavenward, when we serve the Lord as our one and only Master, when we seek out His kingdom and His righteousness, we're going to find that the needs of the poor and the hungry and the naked around us will be taken care of through us. It becomes the natural byproduct of this kind of a life. What if we seek first God's kingdom and his righteousness? What if our purpose and pursuits in this life were eternal rather than temporal? What if? Where is your heart today? Where is your treasure? How is your vision? Are you clear and focused on what really matters? On what's truly valuable? Or is your vision clouded by the distractions of the world's values and priorities? How's your vision? Who do you really serve? Do you really serve the Lord God Almighty with all that you have and all that you are? Or are you trying to have it both ways? Is your loyalty divided? Do you think, oh, I can serve God and my reputation, my career, my stuff? Who do you serve? And what are you pursuing in your life? Are you worrying over the things that are temporal and passing away? Or are you seeking first the kingdom of God and His righteousness? What if this morning you had a change of heart? What if this morning you could have a new perspective? What if you began a new heavenly pursuit today? I want to ask you to bow your head and close your eyes. As the instrumentalists come, Think about these things. Where is your treasure? How is your vision? Who do you serve? And what are you pursuing in your life? Maybe the Lord God today is calling you as a follower of Christ. He's speaking to your heart right now and He's saying you've gotten off track. You've gotten distracted. You've wandered astray. You're chasing after the wind. And He's calling you today to come home. To turn your back on all of that and to reclaim what is yours as His son or daughter. All that He has is yours. Psalter's open for you if you need to come and deal with your Father in Heaven and come home. Maybe today you know that you're not a believer in Christ. You know that you've never repented of your sin. You've never trusted in Christ for that free gift of eternal, everlasting, never-ending life. That can be yours today if you would come this morning and say, Brother David, I... I need to ask Jesus Christ into my heart. Maybe God would have you unite with this church through moving your letter from another church or from following Him in Believer's Baptism. Whatever God has spoken to you today, I hope you'll be obedient. Father, we thank You for Your Word. We thank You for the ways that You have painted for us the choice that is clearly ours to make. You don't force us. You invite us. You draw us in. And I pray that Your Spirit would draw in the hearts of these people today. In Christ's name, Amen. Would you stand and sing? Come as God's Spirit leads you today.